thank you guys. I love the power of declaration. I love the power of, of speaking out what God has said is truth. And, and you guys can come through. And I actually love the testimonies that we get to hear from that prayer that we've had over the years of people seeing God be faithful and reminding us. That's a way to remind us that we are not our own providers, that he is taking care of us, he's watching out for us, and he is holding us secure. So we're doing words in red. <clears throat> if you guys would turn to Matthew chapter 5. You notice our sweet little words in red decal with the flat line on one side and then the life on the other. You catch that? The boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Got to point that out every once in a while because it's pretty fancy. Yeah, Andy and I put a lot of time in on that. We come up with something, something cool. I got to make sure everybody sees it. <laughs> Jesus' words bring life, people. Come on. All right. So Matthew chapter 5 begins one of the, or the longest section of words in red, which the words in red, you guys know, are Jesus' words, and in a lot of our translations, they put Jesus' words in red to help us out, and uh, so we know when Jesus is talking, because we need to know when Jesus is talking, because it's important, and uh, we've been studying these words, and it really is powerful, and we've been seeing the Holy Spirit be faithful to bring fresh revelation of Christ to us, and, and um, we might be spending a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 5 and maybe a little bit in Matthew chapter 6. Drew Berryessa, who is new on the staff. Is Drew back there? Drew! Um, if you guys haven't had a chance to welcome the Berryessas, they love $50 bills and high fives. Um, <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to welcome the Berryessas, they're here. And, um, and they begin on our, they're coming on to our team officially uh, June 1st. And uh, so right away, we thought we would have Drew preach. So he'll be preaching next Sunday. And uh, I'm setting him up to knock it out of the park. I'm going to be talking out of Matthew chapter 5. He's going to be talking out of Matthew chapter 5. And this is a little bit of an, an intro to that. And um, I want to read this. I'm reading out of the NIV. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about what's happening here. Is that Jesus is traveling around. He's doing miracles. He has a crowd that's following him, of course. And Jesus has come. And Jesus has come. And he's preaching. And what is he preaching? repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that means it's within reach the kingdom of heaven is near the kingdom of heaven is at hand he's saying repent change the way you're thinking after you've encountered me and i'm carrying kingdom i'm asking you now to recognize that because of the signs the wonders miracles and the way that i'm teaching with authority i want you to recognize that and change the way that you're thinking after being with which you guys have been taught this a hundred times so i'll keep teaching it but the word repent means to change after being with so to change my mind after i've encountered god to change my mind after I've encountered his kingdom, to change my mind after I've encountered truth or something like that, that's what Jesus is saying. You've experienced, I'm here demonstrating the kingdom. Now repent, change the way you're thinking after you've seen me demonstrate the kingdom. And that's what he came teaching them. And so everybody's wandering around and they're going, how do we get into the kingdom? How do we get into the kingdom? How do we get into the kingdom? Jesus said, repent. I want to get in the kingdom. How do I get into the kingdom? And Jesus wants to show them in Matthew chapter 5. He goes up on the hill and he sits down and they have a fancy little name for it called the Sermon on the Mount. But really it's just a hill. He went up on the hill and he sat down. 
called his disciples to himself. And of course, wherever the disciples and Jesus are hanging out, there's a great crowd of people. Now, I do want to draw a, a picture in your mind of this so that you understand that when, when Moses, there is a parallel of the Old Testament. Moses went up on the mountain in that time of getting the law or getting the covenant with God for the Israelites before they went into the promised land, that he went up on the hill and he received the Ten Commandments and he came back down and he delivered those to the people. And Jesus is doing something similar. As you're studying this, you see that he is looking into the Old Testament law. He's looking into those commandments and he's showing them a better way that is not about external behavior, but is about the condition of their heart. He's actually answering their question, how do we get into the kingdom? It's not how do you get into the kingdom, it's how does the kingdom get into you? And that's what he's trying to show them in Matthew chapter 5, so that you're being people who live kingdom out of you. You're not running around like the religious people of your day as he would look at the Pharisees. You're not running around like the Pharisees going, how do we follow all the rules? How do we give us the rules to get into the kingdom? He said, no, let's talk about how your heart has to be so that the kingdom can get into you. And that's the same place that we are today. Thousands of years later with the same question, God, how do we get the kingdom into us so that it flows out of us powerfully? And so that's the setup to Matthew chapter 5. If you guys were trying to read along and follow that, I'm sorry. There wasn't, any, there wasn't anything in there. Okay, now verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. Little, little sections of scripture like that that you think, oh, what does this have to do with anything? That's a huge deal right there. That's setting the context for what we're about to learn. He's teaching disciples. And this is what he said to them. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the first thing I want us to look at is that word blessed. We're reading this passage of scripture, that word literally means happy. Bible translators aren't very brave. Otherwise, they would have left it as happy. Check this out. Happy are the poor in spirit. Eh, no, doesn't really fit. Happy are those who mourn. <laughs> happy are the meek. Why are they happy? It's not because of the first line. It's actually because of the second line. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For they will be comforted. For they will inherit the earth. For they will be filled. For they will be shown mercy. For they will see God. For they will be called children of God. Why is it that we are happy? It's not this thing. The reason why they don't leave that word translated as happy is because our culture has turned happy into an external feeling that we get when everything is just right or when I, my, all my needs are met or when everybody's pleased me and made me happy, right? So now I'm happy and it is an emotional response, and so they can't really use the word happy in this section of Scripture, but what it's really talking about is deep joy 
and gladness that would be reflective of an inner heart condition of happiness regardless of what is going on externally. This is not up for grabs even if this is changing and morphing around my life, right? Happy, joy, gladness is what they're talking about in the, or what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. And I think that's important even if it doesn't really work today because to say happy doesn't have that same weight to it. So we'll go with blessed. But the thing about blessed that I don't like is that it feels sometimes like it's going to be an external reward. And this is where the Pharisees would have been grabbing onto what Jesus was teaching and going, if you eat all your dinner, you'll get a cookie. And I mean, that's what sometimes you'll look at this and go, how do I turn Matthew chapter 5 into a performance list? Because that's what we've been taught a lot is this is about performance. And so when the same thing with Galatians chapter 5, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. We can get that and we can put our little check boxes next to each one of those and go, how am I going to have, how am I going to make sure this happens today and how this happens today and how this happens today and it becomes an external thing that we, that we put on. I don't want this to become that. I don't want the, if you'll do X, Y, and Z, you'll get blessed. It's about a heart condition, as I said earlier. It's about the kingdom getting in me, not how do I get into the kingdom. It's, it's how does God's, how do I have God's pleasure reside in me and his joy reside in me as opposed to how do I behave so that I get get blessed that's not what we're saying i went on a hike you guys may have some of you may have seen the picture of my son ezra um hiking up roxy ann i I hiked my three sons all the way to the top and ezra my youngest he did excellent there's a picture you should check it out on facebook of him stopped like halfway going oh and he's he's got the crack showing in the back and and he's just he's awesome total total character but i'm walking up the hill and this is what i was thinking about is they would go um Dad, how are we doing? And I'd go, you're doing great. You're like the strongest of my sons today. And they would go, yes, I'm the strongest. And my other two sons would be like, well, if he's the strongest of your two sons, what are you? And I was like, well, you haven't fallen over and hurt yourself yet, so you are the least clumsy of my sons today. (laughs) Yes, I am the least clumsy. And what about me, Dad? And I had to come up with one like, I don't know, your legs are the strongest of all the sons. They want this external recognition but what they're going to realize later on in life is what the value of that time was not the external recognition that I gave them, not the quote-unquote blessing that I gave them. They're going to recognize that the value of that time was being with their father and that actually by going on the hike, they gained a reward in the midst of it, not only at the end when they got to see the, high, the, the view, not only at the end when they got to accomplish something, but it's being with the father and it's walking and having that time of, of the process of it. And this is what we're talking about the deeper thing of saying these things are in and of themselves the blessing it's not external you get them as you walk out kingdom i I hope that that makes sense it made sense to me okay so let's go through a couple of these i um i had delusions of grandeur preaching delusions of grandeur when i'm when I'm preparing my message, I'm going to go through all eight of these. And then I found out there was just seven of them. And when I'm going to go through all seven of them. And it's not going to happen. I want us to see a couple things. I'm only going to do the first two today. But I want you to see a couple things. One of the first things I want you to, say is, to see is how important it is that we realize that Jesus is using 
a rhetorical device called an inclusio, and what he's done is he has taken the first one, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and the last one that says, blessed are those, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He takes those two statements, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and he brackets his teaching in those, which means this device is saying, everything in here I'm going to teach you is about what? About the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we have to recognize that. He's not going all over the map. He's just saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I'm answering your question. I'm talking to you. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And so eat, all of these teachings have to do with the kingdom of heaven, alive in us and through us, our life with Jesus Christ, Him being manifest in us, seated on the throne of our hearts and of our lives, as King of our lives, Lord of our lives, and that His kingdom as such manifests out of our life in this way. Okay? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First of all, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not a future thing. We're talking about theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now. This poor in spirit, what does it mean? When you look up the word and you look for the definitions of it in the original language, it is that absence of self-reliance and it's the absence of all things that we cling to. It is the absence of self-reliance. We are surrounded in a culture where it is absolutely not about uh, having an absence of self-reliance. It is all about how can I be self-reliant? How can I be independent? How can I be strong and sturdy and on my own? How can I create a, a world around my life where I don't need other people? That's what we're surrounded by. Yet what he is saying is that blessed are those who are poor in spirit is meaning you and I having a fresh revelation of our lack and our nothingness compared to God. Not false modesty, not just making up like, oh, woe is me, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. Yeah, we are nothing, not because we're so good at degrading ourselves. We are nothing because we want to be good at seeing the greatness of, of who God is so that our comparison isn't, I'm dirt. Our comparison is, hey, this is who God is. When we see who God is, we recognize that we have nothing and that we bring nothing to the table. This is the foundation that I want us to get for Jesus' entire message. From this point on, not, not just what we call the Beatitudes, but for his entire message that he's about to give for the next few chapters as he sits there on the hill. The beginning point, the beginning point of everything is this. Do you recognize how much you need God? Do you recognize that? And if you recognize that, everything else that he's going to teach is going to fall into place. This is the foundation stone. God, without you, I'm nothing. I remember being in a prayer time where I encountered God, and I encountered his presence, and I was laying on my face on the carpet, and I was going, God, I am nothing before you. I have nothing. I bring nothing of value. I can do nothing apart from you. I am nothing. And I, and I began to take off, when I used to be able to, I took off my wedding ring. To take, if I did it now, it would take me like a month. I'm like, God, this is the most amazing encounter with you. Just give me a minute and I'll take off my ring. I was taking off my wedding ring and I laid it before him and I was getting out my wallet and laying it before him saying, my marriage, my, my finances, my future, everything. I didn't take everything off. That would have been weird. But I took everything, because why? Because it was that realization that the things that I'm clinging to for identity and for purpose and for value, I'm, I let go of those in light of who you are. And it was one of those defining moments for my life. Now, thankfully, I was wide and wise enough to get up and put my ring back on and, uh, and go home. I didn't want to get punched. But it was that, that, that truth of, well, is it my marriage that, I, that I'm like, 
I feel like I have purpose and value because of this or because of that or because of that. No, when, when God showed up, all of that amounted to, to zilch before God. That's what it looks like to be poor in spirit. It is the death of our pride. It is the death of our self-reliance. And we can't move forward in releasing the kingdom out of our life if we still have pride existing in our life. And so what Jesus is asking us to do from the very beginning is just recognize that you bring your poor in spirit. You're poor in spirit. And if you can recognize that, the kingdom is yours. Otherwise, you're going to cling to the kingdom for what you can get out of it as opposed to just coming to it empty-handed, knowing it's all because of Jesus Christ, and he's the one. How do we get into the kingdom? The Pharisees want to know how to get into the kingdom. The Jewish people who are following Jesus around, they want to know how to get into the kingdom. How do you get into the kingdom? Jesus Christ, he made a way where there was absolutely no way. So we come with nothing on us that we can do, and we step through Jesus into the kingdom. Poor in spirit is how we have to come. My notes are out of order. That's one way to get through all of them is just skip four. <laughs> I want to read Isaiah 57 to you. I love this, this passage of Scripture, and this is what it looks like. And uh, Isaiah 57, verse 15 says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what I do. I am high and lifted up. My name is holy, and I do live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is lowly in spirit, who is contrite, and I revive them. That's God's heart. He can't revive somebody that thinks that they've got it all together. You can't revive somebody that goes, oh, I don't need you, God. I've got this thing going. I've got this thing going. I'm handled. This is handled. We're all good. You don't revive something. But if we come to him and say, God, I have nothing. It's you and only you. He goes, yeah, come. Let me pour my life into that. There is a target for every spiritual blessing, blessing Ephesians, for every spiritual blessing to be poured out. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 18. You don't have to turn there. I'm still reading in the NIV. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. Jesus is hanging out, and it says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them a story. He said this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. It's good stuff right there. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evil. Do you guys ever pray like that in your car when you're driving around town? Oh, you mean you think you're not praying. Oh. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is how we come to Jesus. This is how we come to the kingdom. I have nothing, and yet he's invited me to come. I have nothing, and he's made me an honored guest. I have nothing, and he's shared his inheritance with me. I brought nothing. 
the very breath, the ability that I have to stand here, the ability I have to walk out of this room, the ability I have to have a conversation, to see you, to hear you, any of those things that we have. We forget to be thankful for that. But the scripture teaches us that we are sustained by the very word of Jesus Christ, that he is sustaining and holding everything together. If he were to stop, we would cease. What do we bring into the table? In light of that, nothing. And that's why he says that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The first point that Jesus makes in this teaching about being poor in spirit is about us understanding and comprehending that we have nothing. And I believe that the second point is about us feeling what it's like to have nothing before him. That the mourning that he's talking about in this passage of Scripture, if you look it up and as you study this passage of Scripture, it's actually alluding to the Old Testament where it's talking about what it's like to live as an exile, to have your land destroyed, to have nothing and have no home, and to be dependent on others in a land that is not your own, and what it feels like to mourn having lost everything. That's the parallel that Jesus is teaching from that they would have understand, understood when he said that. This isn't simply about being sad and those who have lost things or gone through hard times that they're going to be comforted while that is absolutely true this is about us understanding that jesus says come follow me and he said to come follow me all i'm asking you is that you let go of your life and you let go of everything that you're holding on to and that you come to follow me and that you lay everything down have we felt that have we grieved things in our heart that we've let go of? Or are we still holding on to everything and trying to follow Jesus with all of our stuff? Like, wait up. Wait up, I'm coming. Wait up, I'm coming. I'll be right there, Jesus. But he says, if you, if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find true life. And what that says to us is to say, God, I come with nothing. And now I'm making a choice that in this temporal world where everybody says, grab on to everything that you can while you're here, I'm going to say I'm pushing away from that. I'm breaking that cycle. And I'm saying to you, God, I release all of this because it truly belongs to you. My family, my sons, my daughter, my wife, my quote-unquote call, my church, my whatever, when I lay that down before God, if I'm just going through the motions, I'm not going to feel a thing. I'm going to go, oh yeah, God has it all. But if I actually have revelation of what it means to entrust my Father with everything, including my very physical health and life, to release it to Him, I will have a spirit on me, a healthy spirit on me of mourning. Because the realization of what it feels like to be lowly and humble is coming to bear on my life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we let go of everything, we receive back more than we could ever comprehend, more than we could ever understand. And you guys know, I'm not saying we should all go run out and live like John the Baptist, let go of everything. Because if you're giving stuff away, you can come and give it to me. It's not that. <laughs> but it could be. I'm not saying it's not that. I'm simply saying, of have, we, have we let go of the things that tie us to this life? Have we let go of the things that we get our value from in this life? Have we let go of those things and said, no, not this, you. No, not this, you. In Christ alone. That we would mourn 
and that we would know what that feels like and we would grieve through it and that he would comfort us. Now, can I simply say on a practical note, the reason I love this passage as well is that I, I do want to say on a practical note, it's super healthy to feel and to mourn and to grieve, not as those who have no hope, First Thessalonians, but to grieve and to mourn and to feel. We have permission in the kingdom to feel. I'm fine, doesn't work anymore. What's fine? True. Feelings I'm not expressing. This is what fine is. I want us to have permission, though, to feel. I want us to be okay with emotions. Because here's the thing. If I don't read this, I'm going to screw it up. We cannot be comforted if we do not mourn. We cannot mourn what we do not feel. And we cannot feel what we do not acknowledge. So if God says, it's okay for you to feel, son, it's okay for you to feel, daughter, that you can acknowledge that thing that's hurting you. You can acknowledge that thing that's undermining your joy. You can acknowledge it. Stop pretending it's not there and stop telling everybody that you're fine when you're not fine. If you will acknowledge it, here's what happens. I acknowledge that I'm hurting. I invite him into the hurting and process with me. And then through that grieving process, I am comforted. He wants to meet you in that place. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's where we will stop for today. Because blessed are those who are though blessed are the meek is kind of a long one. It does no good to rush it. Can you guys put your stuff aside for a minute? We'll pick up on these next week. Um, when I'm back after Drew teaches Matthew 5. Let me pray. Let me minister this just a little bit to you guys. Holy Spirit, you are here. You are working. You're doing things beyond what we can even imagine. I thank you, God, that you've been here already. You've healed physical bodies, but there's a greater task that you're about. And that's healing our hearts. That's healing our minds. That is filling us with fresh revelation of what it means to be bought, to be set aside, and to belong to you, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your words as you taught us what it looks like to have the kingdom in us and flowing out of us. I thank you that it's not something we have to earn or figure out how to get into, that you, Jesus Christ, made a way, the only way to get into the kingdom. And now you're getting that kingdom into us. And so for just a moment, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would minister a revelation of your greatness and of our lack. That we bring nothing. See a picture of us standing at a table or standing outside a room. There's a bunch of people in the room and we see, we see Jesus seated at the head of a table and there's a great feast in there and we see everybody's dressed up nice and they're all enjoying food and we look at ourselves and we're dressed in rags and we're dirty and we're stinky and we have nothing together and we're standing out in the dark outside of that room and, and our heart's longing as a son or as a daughter is to, is to be in there. And I see Jesus looking over and seeing us standing at the door and saying, Come, come, come in here, come in here. And he pushes the person next to him and he says, move over a seat, make a seat. Come in here and sit 
by me. God, let that revelation rest on us. We have nothing to bring, and yet you've invited us to sit by you. We have nothing to bring, and you're inviting us to eat at the banqueting table with you in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of those who would tell us we're not good enough, that we're worthless, that we'll never have a place at his table. He seats us right there. He says, you belong to me. You're welcome here. You're loved here. And he calls for fresh clothes. He calls for fresh food. And he feeds us and he clothes us and he loves on us and he cherishes us and he gives us a place at his table. Jesus, let us carry that realization, that reality that we bring nothing. And that nothing in this life that we hold to that we think is getting us security or whatever it might be measures up at all to your greatness. And God, we ask, I ask that you would give us an emotional true emotional response that we would feel the weight of letting go and laying down everything to follow you. That we would mourn the things that we have to let go of. And that you would show up, Holy Spirit, and you would comfort us in that place. You would remind us that nothing that we hold on to is going to sustain us. And for those in this room that are going through hard times, just grieving something, have lost someone, people that are hiding even with, with behind our lack of emotion, that you would, we would hear you say it's safe to feel. That we would acknowledge the things that are hurting us so that you can come into those places so that we can grieve, so that we can be comforted. We invite you to those places. Holy Spirit, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good stuff. Um, kind of somber, sorry. Hey, everybody. It's good that it's somber. It's okay. We don't have to. It's okay. We can feel. Um, I do want to say, uh, Memorial Day weekend tomorrow, a lot of you have an extra day off. And as we're celebrating and as we're enjoying time with family, that we would wake up tomorrow, and I, and I simply want to encourage you to, to wake up tomorrow with a burden to be praying for families that are separated right now, to be praying for places where soldiers would be able to come home, that wars would cease, that this death would end, and that those who are grieving that have lost someone would be comforted tomorrow, not just tomorrow, but ongoing. Let it be a fun day where we barbecue, hang out with family. But I want to wake up tomorrow as a church and I want us to be praying that God would meet people, that he would comfort people, that he would be there for those that have suffered so much. And that truly, I'm praying, I'm praying that wars and rumors of wars would end, that we don't have to pay this price anymore. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.